Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknett. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Okay, welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment question of the week. So one of our premium resources uh, for uh, migraineurs in our community is Migraine Neverland. And uh, once a week, I get together with the members of Migraine Neverland for a group coaching session, uh, which we refer to as the clinic chat. So members uh, submit their questions in advance, and then I pull a few questions to answer during our live chat, uh, where we all have a conversation about them. And we always have a really good time in these sessions, and um, I think it's one of the most popular features of uh, membership. And speaking of uh, Migrant Everland, uh, I want to give a thank you to all of those who listen to the Miracle Moment podcast and uh, give you a discount code uh, for $30 off uh, your first um, six months as a member. So if you enter the uh, coupon code MOMENT, uh, M-O-M-E-N-T, when you sign up, uh, you can get $30 off your first six months of uh, Migrant Everland and you can sign up uh, by going to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash end of migraine. So this week's question comes from Roberta, uh, who says, I only drink bottled or filtered water from the refrigerator. But I read an article on water that said, quote, testing criteria mean that regardless of how well the tap water in your area scores, it could still contain significant quantities of chlorine, fluoride, and unwanted medication. Each of these could independently cause problems for migraine patients. Add add to that the risk of heavy metals, pesticides, and other industrial pollutants that commonly enter municipal water supplies, and the combination might be a major factor in the frequency and severity of your migraine attacks. So is filtering the solution? So Roberta's question here, which is uh, specifically about uh, water and any concerns about uh, pollutants or contaminants in water and their relationship to uh, migraines, brings up a broader topic, which is that of our total exposure to environmental toxins and pollutants and whether or not uh, that plays a significant role uh, in migraines, and if so, what we should be doing about it. And since that's not a topic we've covered all that much, uh, I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of provide a broad overview on this subject. Now, this is a tricky and polarizing issue, and one where it's really difficult to find where the truth lies. Uh, You have people on both ends of the spectrum, so parties on one side who downplay the significance of environmental toxins and pollutants, saying that our exposures are not typically in amounts that would be harmful, And there definitely is some truth to that. As the saying goes, the dose makes the poison. Uh, In other words, whether or not something is harmful to us almost always depends on how much of it we're exposed to. On the other hand, we don't really know the impact of combinations of many different toxins in small doses, which is essentially what we now face in the modern world. And we're definitely now in uncharted waters And so this is another clear area where there is a mismatch uh, between our current um, uh, environment and the one that we evolved in. And so our body's detoxification systems evolved in a very different world without the man-made chemicals that are now ubiquitous in our environment and essentially impossible uh, to entirely avoid. And then there are parties on the other side of this debate who really ramp up the fear factor 
saying that everything is going to kill you and are oftentimes in the next breath selling you the detox or cleansing product that you need to fix it. So each side often has a vested interest in being right, which more than likely compromises their ability to view this topic clearly and without bias. And I consider one of my roles here to provide as unbiased a perspective uh, and analysis on, on matters of health. And so uh, that's what we'll try to do in answering Roberta's question. And I think that the truth in this issue, as is so often the case, uh, lies somewhere in the middle of these two spectrums. And neither side has the research or evidence that they need to prove their position. Um, but even in spite of that, I do think we can take a very reasonable approach to how we should be handling and thinking about uh, environmental toxins. As I mentioned, this is an area where the ancestral perspective is very relevant uh, as we're certainly exposed now to a large number of chemicals that our wild ancestors simply weren't. And of course, simply by applying kind of the central guiding principle of the Migraine Miracle approach, which is trying to reduce the gap between our current environment and that of our uh, hunter-gatherer ancestors, we should aim to minimize our exposure to these chemicals um, until uh, it can be proven uh, otherwise that they aren't harmful. Now, for the migraineur, I do think this is an issue of additional importance, uh, given that migraines can be conceptualized as a condition uh, of heightened environmental sensitivity. So, you know, understanding um, what uh, sorts of things we're being exposed to in our environment and what role they may have is certainly relevant. But as far as what potential impact specific uh, chemicals and pollutants and so on have on migraines, the answer is we really don't know. But overall, I think that it's likely that they play a minor role for most people. Um, and that means that in the beginning of implementing the Migraine Miracle Plan, you're more likely to see greater benefits from other changes, uh, specifically in uh, maximizing the three pillars of protection, than you would uh, in specifically addressing any role of particular uh, environmental exposures. That being said, I do think there is the uh, occasional instance uh, for some individuals where this may play a significantly larger role. Uh, and that's most likely in people who have an exposure to something at particularly high levels uh, that they're not aware of. So I think this is one of those areas that needs to be individualized since the impact is likely going to vary according to your particular environment and that environment's going to vary considerably from one person to the next based on things like location and lifestyle. Um, as a general rule, migraines or no migraines, I do think it makes sense to minimize our exposures uh, wherever possible. Uh, we can't all move to the woods in Alaska, uh, so we won't be able to reduce it to zero, but I do think we can still do quite a bit uh, to kind of minimize the impact. So from a practical standpoint, I think there are kind of four key areas to consider with respect to uh, chemical exposures. The first of those is waterborne ex exposures, which was the subject of the um, original question. Um, so you can actually check uh, your local tap water uh, here in the United States with a searchable data database and see how it scores and whether it contains any particular uh, contaminants uh, in kind of higher than the accepted range. And um, I'm, I'll place a link uh, to where you can do that in the show notes. I think that for most people, uh, unless you can verify that you have pristine tap water, uh, it does make sense to use a high quality water filter uh, or drink mineral, mineral water or some kind of combination of those uh, 
possibilities. Um, for example, in my area, uh, which is said to have passed the federal standard for water quality, there are still seven contaminants de detected that are above the health guidelines. And uh, they're all uh, above the guidelines because of uh, their carcinogenic potential. The second key category would be uh, airborne exposures, so uh, exposures to, to pollutants in the air. And uh, I think this is probably going to be the most location dependent of any issue uh, based on whether or not you live in a big city with a lot of cars around and how much time you spend uh, commuting. And improving your air quality inside of your home with uh, air filters and some indoor plants is definitely a worthwhile thing to do. Um, as, for, as for those who drive in a lot of traffic, um, making sure that you do things like have the uh, air setting on the recycle setting, uh, so the one that has the looping arrow, uh, is one thing you can do. Uh, there are also um, uh, car, car air filters that can be placed on the dashboard. Uh, I actually recently play, uh, purchased one of these and I'm testing it out, but that can uh, be a way of further filtering the air in your car. The third key area would be foodborne, uh, so uh, toxins and contaminants that might be found in foods, so things like antibiotics and hormones and pesticides. Um, for produce, uh, obviously uh, buying organic is the best way to reduce your exposures, uh, but that can be expensive. Um, so you can actually be strategic about this issue to try to sort of minimize cost but get the most bang for your buck. Um, as for uh, some pr produce, um, buying organic matters a lot in terms of reducing your exposure. And in uh, other uh, types of produce, it matters very li little. So there's a list of fruits and vegetables known as the Dirty Dozen, uh, which are the 12 uh, fruits and vegetables uh, that are most likely to carry a high load of chemicals and where it makes sense to buy uh, organic or where you can get the most for your money by uh, buying organic. And then there's also a list known as the Clean 15 where buying organic versus not uh, doesn't matter so much. Um, and so I'll put a link to those uh, two lists as well in the show notes. And then for exposures in meat, I think that uh, buying animals raised in their natural environments uh, is a win from multiple perspectives. Um, while I'm not certain how significant hormone and antibiotic-free meat is from a health standpoint, for me personally, uh, it's more about wanting to support those uh, who treat and raise their animals humanely. Um, the fact that that meat is probably better for me overall is an added bonus. Also, it's worth noting with respect to foodborne toxins that uh, the biggest source of foodborne toxins is likely in eating foods that we weren't supposed to eat. So getting rid of uh, foods with added sugar and processed uh, stuff that's made in factories is actually the single biggest way you can reduce your toxin exposure. And that we know uh, will make a significant uh, impact um, on uh, migraine potential. So we almost always get our meat uh, uh, from local farms. Uh, where the animals are uh, raised uh, humanely and lead uh, nice lives. And we uh, also like to get our eggs from uh, pastured uh, chickens. And then our fourth key area of concern is uh, things that get through the skin. So here I'm talking mainly about personal care products. Um, this is probably a significant source of exposure for some folks and less so for others. And generally, uh, I recommend uh, a minimal, uh, minimalist approach in this area uh, whenever, wherever possible. 
So a lot of the stuff uh, in the in the uh, personal care uh, area, we've been convinced that we need uh, thanks to really good marketing. So I think the first step is kind of assessing uh, your arsenal of products and, and thinking about what is really necessary and what isn't. And then kind of after doing some downsizing, uh, then switching over to natural products uh, wherever possible uh, that don't use a whole host of uh, chemicals that you can't name. Um, the upside is that for many, simply switching to an ancestral diet like the Migraine Miracle Plan leads to significant improvements in the condition of the hair and skin and nails, and so reduces the need uh, for products uh, to improve those sorts of things. So just to summarize, for the migraineur, uh, the majority will improve considerably just by focusing on the three pillars of protection, which we've talked about before. And those will be number one, eliminating rebound headaches, number two, establishing metabolic flexibility or fat adaptation, and three, eliminating diet and lifestyle mismatches. And uh, really, the, uh, this, this, what we're talking about today, uh, it can be conceived as reducing an environmental mismatch, in this case, exposure to man-made chemicals. Um, like I said earlier, um, I think for most people, this plays a, a less significant role, uh, partly because we see many folks who you know, go from chronic migraine to migraine freedom without specifically addressing this issue. Now, I do think that uh, the plan in general uh, will clean up a lot of things and reduce your exposure in many ways without you having to deliberately focus uh, on this issue. That being said, I do think that minimi minimizing our exposures to these sorts of things is a smart thing to do uh, from a general health standpoint and from a migraine standpoint. And if somebody has kind of optimized the three pillars of protection and minimize their exposures to these sorts of chemicals with the strategies that I've discussed above, then I do think it's worthwhile to do uh, further testing to evaluate for any specific issues or any hidden exposures uh, that they're not aware of. And this type of uh, toxin screening is one of the things that I offer to folks uh, in Migrant Everland who uh, want to take advantage of the one-on-one uh, -on -one program. And speaking of the issue of sort of uh, getting rid of toxins in the body, um, I think another thing we can be certain of here is that the vast majority of products and services marketed as you know, detoxes or cleanses don't actually do anything as far as clearing toxins from the body. Um, that's not to say that it isn't possible to assist the, the body in toxin clearance, but the ideal way to do this is to first test whether or not there are particular toxins in excess and then, if that's so, develop a, develop a strategy for avoidance and detoxification of that particular toxin, if that exists. So, many times, removing a toxin from the body uh, will have a very specific procedure uh, for doing so. And if you are looking for sort of a more general way to detoxify uh, periodically, then uh, going to a sauna uh, once or more uh, a week is going to be your best bet. And there's really some impressive uh, research out there on uh, the ability of uh, sauna to uh, clear toxins and potentially have an impact on uh, certain diseases that, have a, that likely have a significant uh, environmental component. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you're a fan of the podcast and you want to help me reach more people with it, um, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review inside of iTunes. Uh, it really does make a difference, and it really means a lot to me. 
Uh, and if you'd like to take part in our weekly clinic chats uh, where these questions are taken from, uh, as well as take advantage of the, all the other benefits of Migra Neverland, uh, you can learn more about that at mymigrainemiracle.com uh, forward slash end of migraine. And when you sign up, don't forget to uh, enter the discount code we created just for podcast listeners by uh, putting in the word moment uh, to get $30 off uh, the first six months of the Migraine Neverland membership. So that's all for today. So now it's time to go out there and slay the beast. Thank you.